So a few years ago, a Denzel Washington movie came out where Denzel is this, this rough, salty, old-school father. And one movie scene, his, his son is discouraged by the lack of warmth in their relationship. And so the son just asks him, Hey, Dad, how come you never like me? The father responds gruffly, Like you? Who ever said anything about, about me having to like you? Don't I put a roof over your head? Don't I put warm food in your belly? Don't I put clothes on your back? It's not about liking you. As a man, you fulfill responsibilities to those who depend upon you. It has nothing to do with liking you or not liking you. What a sad, sad movie scene, right? This father understood that his child had physical needs, but he completely missed the boat that children have emotional needs too. A child needs to feel that their parent loves them. In order to really thrive, children need to know that their parents like them. And the same is true for the children of God. We need to know that God likes us if we are to thrive in our relationship with Him. If you're a genuine Christian, you've, you've probably never doubted that God loves you. It's pretty crystal clear in the Bible. But perhaps at times you have wondered whether God could ever truly like you. With all your sins and, and wretchedness and mistakes, you, you might have wondered could the holy God of the universe ever really enjoy me? I know God loves me, but does He like me? This is the ultimate question we'll seek to answer this morning. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Zephaniah. Zephaniah. And as a friendly reminder, don't forget to text in any questions as you have them. Now, as you turn there, the first half of Zephaniah is all about God's wrath, and the second half is all about God's rejoicing. The first half is God's wrath, and the second half is God's rejoicing. So let's first consider God's wrath in the book of Zephaniah. This book begins in chapter 1, verse 1, by telling us that this book is the Word of God that came to Zephaniah the prophet in the days of Josiah, king of Judah. Historically, Josiah ruled in the 600s BC, and at this point in Israel's history, they'd already saved from slavery in Egypt by God. They've already wandered 40 years in the wilderness, and by God's great grace, they've already successfully captured and inhabited the promised land. But things go downhill fast for Israel, as many of you know. Because of Israel's great sin and internal conflict, there's a civil war of sorts, and the nation splits in two. So then you have the northern kingdom, still called Israel, and the southern kingdom is now called Judah. And by the time Zephaniah is written, the northern kingdom of Israel was so sinful that God had already wiped them out 
by sending in the national superpower of Assyria to capture and exile away its people as prisoners of war. So Zephaniah is now writing to the southern kingdom of Judah to tell them, look guys, learn the lesson of your sister Israel. Avoid the same fate. Stop walking in the wickedness of Israel's footsteps so that you too won't experience God's judgment of exile. Our prophet provides many examples of Judah's sins in Zephaniah that led to this warning. Chapter 1, verse 9 mentions lying and deceit. Chapter 1, verse 11 describes cheating and commerce. Chapter 1, verse 12 indicates sinful complacency. But perhaps worst of all of Judah's sins is in chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. These verses reveal that Judah began to worship the false gods of Baal, worshiping the sun, moon, and stars, and a god named Milcom. And this is an ultimate betrayal to God. In Yahweh's eyes, worshiping a false god is like cheating on your spouse. God takes it personally. That's why in chapter 1, verse 18, God says that He's jealous. Now, this jealousy isn't like a selfish friend who's unwilling to share his friend with other people. No, God's jealousy is instead like a good husband who's jealous over his wife, jealous to not share her with other men. This is a righteous jealousy because the nation of Judah is committing spiritual adultery, cheating on her heavenly husband, God, by getting into bed with false gods. So how about you? You might not worship a god made of stone or wood, but do you have any lovers in your spiritual life, idols of the heart that you might worship more than God? Today, an idol of the heart is is really just anything that you can't live without. An idol is anything you spend more time, energy, and money on than God. It's anything you completely depend upon for your happiness, meaning, and purpose in life. An idol is, is what captures your heart. It's whatever you love most in the world. An idol is also anything you fear most, anything you fear more than you fear God. Whatever your idols are, whatever pops into your head as I described those possibilities, good things that you might have elevated to the status of God, break up with them. Put God first, that you might be married in an exclusive relationship to Yahweh your God, a jealous husband who loves you and desires all of your heart. Even worse than Judah's spiritual adultery, though, historically the ancient god of Milcom, this is an Ammonite god, also called Molech at times, included the practice of murdering newborn babies and then offering them up as living sacrifices. Tragically, the same sin of infant murder continues in 2023. 
Today it's called abortion. So put yourself in God's shoes. Imagine your spouse or your parent sleeping with other people in the night and then waking up to violently murder your children in the day. This is what's happening to God. So this is why He's righteously furious. And this is why God has wrath for sinners like you and me outside of Christ. Because the sinful heart of Judah lives inside of each and every one of us. By our actions, we reveal that we have murderous, unfaithful, selfish hearts. Consequently, the first two and a half chapters of Zephaniah are all about God's wrath for such insidious sins. But just when you're ready for God to just wipe them out, to say, I'm done, to condemn all of Judah to hell forever, instead, Yahweh offers an invitation of gospel grace. And He does so in Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. I invite you to turn there, and if you're able, please stand with me for a hearing of this portion of God's Word. I'll be reading from the NASB this morning, the New American Standard Bible. Verse 14 begins, Shout for joy, daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, Israel. Rejoice and triumph with all your heart, daughter of Jerusalem. Yahweh has taken away His judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel Yahweh is in your midst. You will no longer fear disaster. On that day, it will be said to Jerusalem, do not be afraid, Zion. Do not let your hands fall limp. Yahweh, your God, is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will rejoice over you with joy. He will be quiet in His love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Please be seated. For the note takers in the room, you can divide these verses into two actions. Action number one, you're rejoicing in God. But action number two, God's rejoicing in you. So let's begin with number one, your rejoicing in God. Notice that verse 14 includes joyful shouts, triumphant shouts, and rejoicing and triumphing with all your heart. These actions are, are big, they're enthusiastic, they're, they're explosive. And the reason I chose the NASB this morning is because for, for this passage in particular, this translation, I think, gets the closest to the original Hebrew in which Zephaniah was written. The other English translations will begin verse 14 by saying Judah is to sing, that this first phrase is about music. And that is an acceptable translation, but it's not quite as precise as it could be. The Hebrew verb's meaning here is, 
is not quite just to sing with joy, but more precisely, it's to shout with joy. The emphasis is not on music, but on volume. It's almost as if mere singing wouldn't be loud enough to do justice to the enthusiasm that Christians are to express in their loving worship of such a great king. So don't just sing in praise. On occasion, consider shouting too. Shout with joy and shout with triumph. Shout like an army whose God is victorious, who has won the battle as we just sung and is in your midst. You know, Fox Valley, I love that you are a church who does this. I love that, that so many of you during praise, I've, I've heard you shouting out your joy with a yes or a woo. So keep it up. This is exactly what this verse is describing. Don't leave your joy for God inside of your head. Express it out with your mouth. Now to be clear, for the introverts in the room who might be getting a little bit nervous about now, I don't think this verse means that you have to immediately now transform yourself into perpetual shouter in worship. God does call us at times to move outside our comfort zones. But I don't think these verses mean that you have to pretend that you're an outgoing person or a loud person if, if you're really not. Throughout the Bible, we're given all sorts of ways to praise God with our bodies and voices. From shouting, to singing, to clapping, to dancing, to stomping your feet, to playing musical instruments. So the idea is not to be dogmatic about it always needing to be a shout in particular. There, there are many options of ways to express your enthusiastic praise to God. Instead, I think the idea is, in whatever way is most true to yourself, to express when you personally are really excited or joyful about something, bring that same energy into your worship. Does that make sense? So if you're uncomfortable shouting, maybe sing with a big smile spread across your face. Maybe sing really loudly with, with gusto. Maybe lift a hand or two or go down to your knees or clap. Just do something with your voice or body to express enthusiasm for a God who deserves all your heart and worship. Now, why should you do all this? Why should Judah celebrate so much joy after God had been so harsh with them in judgment? I think we find the answer at the beginning of verse 15. It says, Yahweh has taken away his judgments against you. This is a glimpse of the gospel of Jesus. This is why we gather to rejoice every week. In other words, Yahweh is telling Judah, look, I'm, I'm willing to forgive you. I'm willing to take away the judgments and punishments that you deserve if only you will repent and trust in me. And this is the same message that God tells you today through the good news of Jesus Christ. No matter how much regret or filth you may feel, if you will cry out to God, not because of your goodness, 
but because of Jesus's goodness, because of his perfect life and his torturous death, you can be saved. Saved from the sinfulness of your heart and saved from the awful wrath of God that you and I deserve. Like Judah, God is willing to take away your judgments too. So Christians, shout with joy and rejoice in God. So the first action in these verses is your rejoicing in God. How strange then that we also find God's rejoicing in you. Zephaniah 3.17 says that He will rejoice over you with joy. He will be quiet in His love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. So apparently the same shouts that you are supposed to cry out to God, the same rejoicing you have in the Lord God longs to reciprocate in a way. If you're a genuine Christian, God delights in you so much that when He meets you at the end of time, God won't merely tell you how happy He is to see you. He'll shout it. He'll rejoice. So I want you to imagine the picture of of a military veteran coming home to be reunited with his wife for the first time in years. You've seen these YouTube videos, right? The man doesn't walk, he runs, you better believe it, with tears streaming down his face and rejoicing, shouting out with joy because of how much delight he has in the one whom his soul loves. This, this is God's great delight in you. He doesn't just love you. He likes you. God will demonstrate his delight in you at the wedding supper of the Lamb with with shouts of joy. I want you to also pay particular attention to the second to the last line in verse 17. God will be quiet in his love. What a contrast here. Most English translations say that he will quiet you, but if there are any grammar teachers in the room, this verb is actually intransitive in Hebrew. This means not that God will quiet you, but that God will quiet himself. I think the NASB gets it most precise here. This means that God will will so feel love for you in his heart that it will move him from from loud rejoicing, vocal shouts, into a place of quiet contemplation of his great delight and love for you. God loves you so much that at times he's rendered speechless. Imagine a father who holds his newborn for the very first time. And when his wife asks him, Hey, Dad, how does it feel? As he's holding his child, he he looks over with a trembling lip, with watery eyes, and he tries to speak, but he just can't because of how much delight in his heart he feels 
of the child whom he loves. This is God's delight in you as a Christian. If you're a Christian, there will be a day in which God, your Father, God, your heavenly husband, will shout with joy over you and then will be rendered speechless because of the depth of his great delight in you, his treasured possession. If you're God's child, he will one day speak the same to you, his pleasure in you, because of your faith in Jesus has allowed all of Christ's righteousness, holiness, and beauty to clothe your soul, making you pleasing in God's sight. So in the meantime, may we shout with joy. May we shout with victory. May we rejoice with all our hearts for a great God who loves us and likes us and is willing to save us forever. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that you have a name, that you have no equal, that you have a holy word, and that you have a shout. You have a shout of joy and delight over us, that you will one day rejoice over your people. We praise you, Father, that in Isaiah, you tell us that as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. So Yahweh, I pray for the Christian here today who is struggling, fully feeling that you love and like them. By your Holy Spirit, I ask that you would move in their hearts, encourage them by the truth in Zephaniah 3.17, that if they're your child, you love them and you like them and you long to be with them forever. We pray in the name of Jesus, whose perfect life and death has made us pleasing in your sight. Amen. I now invite Pastor Brad to join me on stage for our Q&A. Thank you, brother. So official. I'm going to invite Brad for our Q&A. Um, that's good. We're, we're really excited to do it. And actually, Cole, you've done a great job with this series. I really appreciate some of the words you brought. Yeah. Really... Um, Re- really good. And you said something, and so I want to actually start out with this. You said something about three or four minutes ago that God doesn't just love you, He likes you. And this reminded me of a conversation I had with my wife a year or two ago. We were talking about what's kind of the difference between love and like, and there's an enjoyment factor there. So I guess, Cole, my question for you is, what if people are here and they're like, yeah, I know John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, God loves me, I know that but I don't experience his delight. I don't really feel like he likes me. What would you say to a person who's in that camp? Because I believe there's a few out here. Right. Yeah, that's my first question. Right. There's obviously a lot of things that could be said. I'll just give one. Um, I really appreciate it in the 90s, what was really big on the wristbands and the bumper stickers, the WWJD. Nice. I think it's a good question to ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? And, and you know, mm. Jesus once felt far from the Father and from his love from the cross. And, mm. and, and when he was there, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In yeah, that moment, he, he didn't feel God's love or his liking. Sure. And actually, when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't something he came up with on the spot. He was actually quoting a psalm, Psalm 22. Mm. And so there are psalms, Psalm chapter 13, Psalm chapter 10 and 
Psalm chapter 22 are psalms I recommend for folks who, who are feeling far from God, feeling that they know God loves them, but, but they don't know how to process it. Mm. These are psalms that David wrote when mm. he was feeling far from God, when he wasn't experiencing his love, to process those emotions and to call out. So psalms are a triple genre. They're songs, they're poems, but they're, mm. they're also prayers. So these are some great prayers that, yeah, that folks can turn to to encourage them. That's good. I also love the picture, you know, you talked about the military, the guy coming home and seeing his family. I think right. those of us who have kids and a spouse, we can picture what that might be like, you know, and I think of the, you know, Jesus sharing the story of the parable of the prodigal son, and what does the father do, right? right? There's delight and, and joy in receiving right. uh, the wayward son. I, I also just thought of Psalm 147. Uh, it says this, and, and I think there's a lot of comfort in this, uh, his delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those whose hope is in his steadfast love. Mm. So God delights in you not because of what you bring to the table, yeah. but because you fear him. Man, that's, that's a really encouraging uh, way to frame it. And so I think that's good. I also thought of something, Cole, that for me, very practically, I am able to enjoy God and I sense God's pleasure in me when I really have like unabandoned worship. And so this passage talks about shouting. Mm -hmm. I love how you brought that out. I, I think for me, in, in times when I can be like, well, I really feel God's just love, His delight in me, I think it is in times of worship and in mm -hmm. times of praise and, and unabandoned praise, not, not really contained. And it doesn't have to look a certain way but really just kind of letting go however God's leading me. And I think that, that tends to bring me some joy. I don't know if you have any other thoughts or I'll keep giving us some other questions. That's here. great. Yeah, that's a great start. Okay, here we go. And feel free to keep texting. The number's there. Okay, uh, let me bring it up here. Oh, that's an interesting question. <laughs> okay, um, I'm going to skip that one for now. <clears throat> okay. Uh, if God is love, oh, here's a good one. If God is love, how can he also have wrath? If God is love, how can he also have wrath? You want to start or do you want me to? Ah, uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> the first thought that, that comes to my mind is, if you have love, you have to have wrath. And here's yeah. why. Yes. Yeah. I, I imagine my wife if someone were to hurt her, like imagine if someone came into your home while you were gone and murdered your family. Imagine if you weren't mad. You're just like, ah, oh, you know, it's cool. I'm a forgiving person. That would be wrong. If you love someone, you will have wrath when they're damaged. The reason why God has wrath is because he so loves his people that he righteously yes. needs to feel wrath when sin is destroying them, including our own sin. Yeah. So that's the, the, the totally. paradox of God's wrath and love. They're, they really are compatible. Yep. That's so good. So good. And we all want grace for ourselves, right? And justice for others, you know? Um, God would not be just if he allowed these different things to happen. I, I thought of uh, Romans 5, 9, and it's not really answering the question, but it maybe brings some encouragement. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. It's this idea, as believers, we don't have to fear that wrath, but God's anger against sin and unholiness, I think we actually want that. We don't want a God who's going to let all these different things pass, you know? Right. So, that's good. Okay, here's the one I, I just saw, and it's a little more technical. Does the Jewish tradition and religion identify with Israel or Judah more closely? 
I think they mean like today. That, that's my guess. I'm not totally mm. sure. But does the Jewish tradition and religion kind of identify more with Israel or more with Judah? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I, I know, um, I think the answer is Judah. And the reason is, so what happened in, in, in the history of, of this ancient church, Israel was completely exiled away by Assyria. Mm-hmm. Judah was exiled away by Babylon. And, and after all this kind of settled with the dust, Judah came back. Judah was the nation that God allowed to return, and Nehemiah and Ezra to rebuild the wall and rebuild the temple. Most of the folks in Israel, the northern kingdom, they were never, they were never brought back. Most mm. of those folks are called the diaspora. Mm. Um, so most of the people living in Israel today who have any ties to ancient Israel, yep. um, they are from the tribe of, of Judah. So Judah would be most closely tied today. Uh, rather than the northern kingdom. Very good. You pass, Cole. That's right. That's great. <laughs> That's great. Okay. Uh, what are practical ways to go about getting rid of idols in my heart once and for all? Hmm. I got a couple different thoughts going on at the same time. You got something? I was just going to ask you yeah. if you wanted to start. That's a good um, question. Man. I think... Okay, one thing that comes to my mind is rather than trying to get rid of an idol, try to replace the idol. And God is more satisfying than whatever it is that you're pursuing. And rather than just trying to withhold and refrain, replace it with something that's more pleasurable and more enjoyable. Love that. And that comes to my mind. It's it's that Jeremiah 15, 16 comes to my mind. And um, when your words came to me, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. There's this desire for like God's word. I know now I'm being very specific of an application of enjoying God's word, but I I think enjoying God and worship in his word and allowing our hearts to just, the affections will will start to grow more and more the more we practice it. Sometimes we just want the feelings to happen right away, but start doing things like spending time with God, reading God's word, and allow your heart to then delight in it more. And, and I'm hoping and praying the Spirit will make that idol pale a little bit in comparison. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, I think John Piper says, um, fight the pleasures of sin with the pleasures of God. Mm. That the solution to fighting sin and idols um, isn't just to willpower to try to yeah. enjoy them less. Yeah. It's rather, wow. like you said, to, to enjoy God more and you'll find wow. those desires decreasing. Wow, I wonder if, if Piper got that from me or not. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Okay, um, totally kidding. Okay, so how do I use the Word of God to encounter God? I don't often feel like He speaks to me through it. I mean, I think of literally that passage I just quoted. When your words came to me, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. Um, But I don't know, what do you... I think my initial thought would be, I, I almost wish that person were, were standing right here, I could ask them, what, what exactly are, are you expecting? Um, in my own personal life, I had times where I, I feel like God's presence is, is palpable. Mm. I feel like it's, the air is almost thicker. I can feel Him there. I've had a lot of seasons mm. where I'm reading the Bible. I'm understanding what it says. I don't feel Him. But because I'm understanding what's being written, I'm still hearing from God. Mm. And so I think it's important for folks to realize that with the, with the ebbs and flows of emotions, sometimes hearing God's word just means you read it, you understand it, 
Yeah. You try to obey it. And if the motions aren't there, it doesn't mean you haven't heard from God. Mm, that's uh, true. Because the power of, of God is, is in His Word. That's really good. That's really good. And I think sometimes we do this where we flip our Bible open and just like hope wherever we land, it's going to speak directly into our situation. Raise your hand if you've ever done that before. <laughs> Confession. Um, yeah, I, I, I think there's implicit truth and there's explicit truth. So uh, the Bible doesn't say, for example, take this job or don't take this job. And I think a lot of us, when we read this, we want it to speak to what we're doing now in our life. Like, God, well, what do you want me to do? What's next? We want it to relate to us. And the Bible, I, I think God's Word deliberately makes us spend time in it and dwell in it. And it's more the rare occasion when like that passage right. we see directly answers the question that we have. But there's implicit truth. Like the Trinity, God being three in one, that's not explicitly stated in Scripture, but there's a case built for it throughout the whole Bible. And I think when we think of jobs or should I do this, should I do that, what should I refrain from, we, we need the context of the Bible. And I think the more we read it, the better we understand it and start to under, like these implicit truths that maybe aren't stated perfectly in a way that's going to satisfy us, but they're throughout Scripture. And the more we know it, the more we'll start to shape that's those good. things. You know? That's good. Okay, here's another one. Uh, can you please talk about the difference between or balance of faith and emotion, i.e. faith without emotion and emotion without faith? Can you please talk about the difference between or balance of faith and emotion? Faith is the engine. The emotion is the caboose. Mm. The faith, faith is what you have. Faith mm. is what's solid. Yeah. And the motion is what follows. And sometimes the caboose breaks loose and it's not there mm. and it hitches back later on. Stick with your faith and the emotion will follow as, as you obey in faith. And including uh, obeying mm. in faith with emotional things like shouting in joy or, or singing. But I think mm. faith is the engine and, and emotions are the caboose. Mm. That's really good. Uh, Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I love what you said. It's, it's the engine. It's the driver. But I, I also want to say, you know, there's a, a little taboo in some evangelical circles to avoid emotion, and that's to avoid a primary trait of God. God is an emotional God, right? right? He's, he loves passionately. He shouts, right? He hates sin. He, God, God is passionate. So don't avoid emotion. That, right. Like there's some, it's almost like a pride thing maybe a little bit. Um, I understand God so well that I, you know, I'm, I'm not even going to really get into it. And I just think yeah. um, we, we should allow emotions to come, but Absolutely. in the right order. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Okay. Well said. Okay. Here's something uh, that I, I thought of. It wasn't a question that someone texted in, but you talked about God in, in the, I think it was in your first message with Moses. And, and my question to you is, what does God look like? Because Pastor Tom randomly in a staff meeting said, just before a staff meeting, or right when the staff meeting started, do you guys think God is male? And it was just like super quiet, right? All around the room, we're, about, we're thinking we're going to do like an agenda item, and here Tom lobs out this, uh, this big question. And I think you touched on it a little bit, this idea of like God's rope or like God's hand. So I just, I think that's an interesting thought. Well, what does God look like? Yeah, um... I'm going to try to walk around this question and answer through a back door, Okay, that's okay. Yeah. So D.A. Carson says, if, if you were to go to Papua New Guinea and to give them electricity and explain to them how to do it, um, you wouldn't tell them, okay, we're going to bring over wires and light bulbs. They wouldn't know what you're talking about. Hmm. Instead, what you'd tell them 
in a way that they could understand from their world. You could say, okay, we're going to bring over these vines, and these vines have fireflies that run through them. Hmm. And these vines will connect to own personal little sun in your house that can allow it to be daytime in the night and not just in the day. Hmm. And obviously, that's not literally what's happening, but that's the most helpful way to explain to people sure. who have never experienced electricity before. And so I think in the same way, uh, theologians call it anthropomorphism, which hmm. means that when God says he's covering Moses with his hand or he has a face, God the Father doesn't literally have these things. Hmm. It's like describing electricity to people who have never seen it. God is, is condescending to our level to express himself in poetic ways that we can understand, sure. even if they're not always literally true. Okay. So what does he look like? I'm just, so, kidding. I'm just kidding. No, that's really helpful, Cole. No, that, that is really helpful. Yeah. Um, we're out of time this morning. I want to invite you to stand. I just want to say a quick blessing over you. Uh, would you pray with me? Father God, I just thank you for these conversations. Thank you for humor. Thank you uh, for Cole and the way that, God, you've gifted him to bring your word to life for us and, and to speak truth to us. Uh, Father, we just pray as we leave here, as I prayed earlier in the service, would these truths not just be knowledge, but would they, they shift our affections to you? We know that you are a God with great affections toward us. And would that cause us to shout back to you and rejoice in you and ultimately love others, God, too? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. As you leave, remember that Jesus changes everything.